You are listening to the Catholic Thinkers Podcast, a free treasury of instruction in the Catholic intellectual tradition. If you enjoy this lecture, please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate. This is Father James Scholl, and I want to complete chapter 10 of our discussion on um, the limits of political philosophy on theology, science, and political philosophy. We will begin with the discussion of doctrine and grace. Revelation for medieval thinkers served to define better what men ought to do and provided grace which enabled them better to do what they what they ought. Both of these initiatives, doctrine and grace, had origins outside of politics, but not outside of reality. They were designed to reduce the disorders of any existing polity by enabling men to become better than what might be expected on the basis of realist uh, uh, judgments and experiences. This influence was why in the medieval political philosophy did not see revelation as completely independent of or indifferent to actual politics. The men to whom politics were addressed were the same men uh, to whom Revelation was addressed. For St. Augustine, then, social justice uh, should receive its initial movement from the most final of causes, eternal beatitude the just distribution of temporal goods, making us proportionally like God. As he said, the most just dispenser, disposer of all of the adjuncts of temporal peace, the visible light, the the breathable air, the portable water, and all the other necessaries of meat, drink, and clothing. The end of the quote. This is the root of Christian social justice, that is to say, the provision of all things. Man was the microcosmos, the being to whom all levels of being cross. However difficult, it was inconceivable that these crossings were not ultimately harmonious and, co- and complete. Faith and reason, though originating from the same transcendent source, are distinct, yet not opposed as reason to unreason. Beyond this view lies the more fundamental question of the unity of the universe and therefore the possibility of universal discourse, both over time and over space among all men, among all philosophers. This possibility would include the unity of man himself with the world, the fact that man is in, is the in-between being who is uh, legitimately and fully both matter and spirit. Man joins the great sphere of being within himself. This possibility of a single philosophy 
valid for all men, was what Greek philosophy itself was about, <clears throat> why it was not simply Greek philosophy, but the irreducible foundation of philosophy as such. In the city of philosophy, Socrates and Plato are not merely ancient Athenians of a particular school of thought. They remain contemporary philosophers in any age because the questions that they raise belong to any polity where men existed. The great dis discussions in higher theoretical concerns, uh, th th those great discussions, those who have formulated the issues that we must confront, often uh, live before our time, <clears throat> often do not speak our particular language. The great minds rarely exist when we exist, as Leo Strauss pointed out. We encounter them initially in study, in books, though we are at liberty, as Samuel Johnson said, to neglect them. These books only become alive to us when we have arrived actively and made our own the point of their discourse. That is, when we realize that the <coughs> questions which are classically, which the classical philosophers ask, are our questions, questions addressed to man as man. At this level, the past is never really past. Plato and Aristotle, Augustine and Aquinas, still address and challenge us. The human mind is intended to illuminate the universe and in so doing, inform any person who has mind. But this illumination, this active confrontation begins by asking the deeper questions that arise from our reflective uh, experiences. We will not know that answers are addressed to us, even from revelation, until we first realize that we ourselves have questions that reach to the core of our, of our being. Revelation presupposes intelligence. It does not substitute for it uh, from out of nowhere. The next section is called Civil Order not its own judge. Political philosophy ob obtains a certain priority over revelation and science. The policy, the city, uh, through, its, uh, through a judicious use of force or opinion, uh, can hinder or forbid uh, from appearing in public the truths of revelation, prudence, or science, uh, uh, it can prevent them from being public. If the highest questions are to be welcomed, the politician must be rendered benevolent to what he does not himself fully know and over which he does, he has no direct capacity, competency. The politician, for his part, though he himself should feel at least some of the pull of philosophy in his own being, is right in seeking to limit or, or uh, uh, confine 
the differences of the philosophers with one another uh, to an arena that will not radically undermine the public order. Philosophical politicians who seek to improve their improve, uh, impose their insistence on the world, their insistence on the world, however, are the most dangerous kind. If the struggles of the philosophers with each other over the truth and order are not resolved, the politician is right to uh, encourage a level of respect, respectful or gentlemanly dispute among the philosophers. The religious person is right in maintaining that the particular or ultimate destiny of each person, his salvation, cannot wait until the time when the philosophers will have found the truth and agreed with one another that they have found it. Uh, for all its dignity, to the ordinary man, philosophy often appears to be mere confusion. Amid the conflicting claims of philosophers to the truth, the common man is not altogether wrong to be uh, not altogether wrong to be wary of the philosophers. This caution was the same concern St. Paul showed to the philosophers in 1 Corinthians. A given polity may insist that it be organized on a model that is not merely practical but theoretical. It may claim to be the best regime. The order of the polity, even one that maintains it is the best, may in reality be based on opinions or in uh, no, on norms contrary to uh, science and revelation. Science arose where it did and when it did, not through some arbitrary fortune or some injustice, but because science first required certain habits and ideas from theology, reason, and moral habit, without which it cannot exist. In a case where scientific knowledge or another faith seems to threaten an existing political order, the actual well-being of the polity will be uh, presumed to stand in opposition to the introduction or practice of science or another religion. Naturally, this fact of a closed polity uh, pre uh, preludes the discussion of the uh, relative worth of different polities, which discussion might imply the need for a change in its constitution. The distinction of politics according to the end or purpose for which they are organized suggests that not all existing regimes are the best. And if they are not the best, there will always be a desire to change them. The real limits of political philosophy thus only arise when it is decided whether the kingdom of God can or cannot be established in this world. 
If it cannot, which is the conclusion of revelation and the grounds of its own realism, then any effort to do so will be dangerous and destructive to actual human beings. The accurate description of the nature of existing regimes often requires an act of great intellectual and physical courage. The worst regimes want to appear to be the best. This capacity of a polity to, to close off philosophical and religious discussion in order to preserve itself is why revelation cannot be totally indifferent uh, to the forms of polity. <clears throat> revelation claims to be addressed to all men in their particular lives. It also claims, if allowed to exist, to incite each polity uh, to be nearer to the good that ought to be in, contained in the civil life insofar as it is possible, remembering that a perfect regime is not uh, politically possible. But if revelation admitted that a polity could legitimately exclude the presentation of its case about the ultimate questions, ultimate meanings of human life at the level of religion, it would contradict its own claims to universality and its own response to questions that have arisen in actual politics. The constitutional effect of revelation is the limited state. Present at the death of Socrates were not only the lawyer and the craftsman, but also the poet. The poet, be it noted, was in opposition to, uh, uh, to philosophy because the poet sang the praises of what was before him of, the, uh, of this polity, of this arrangement, of this end. The praise of a disordered particular polity, this fascination with Republican or revolutionary song, was why in Plato the poets were seen to be in opposition to the truth. If a polity is ordered not merely to itself, but beyond itself to truth, it cannot be indifferent to what the poets sang and praised. <clears throat> this concern for truth meant that science and poetry were to be tested not just by themselves, but by their relation to the order of civility. But was the order of civility to be judged by anything not itself? What judged the courts and the parliaments when they rendered their own legal and final judgment. The proposition that the civil order was its own judge that allowed us, that allowed no further discussion, but what it uh, decreed by its own, uh, uh, by itself, has come to be known as positivism, uh, though this position 
has always been present uh, in one form or another in ancient theory. Is there anything within the whole of reality that would permit the polity to be itself without uh, implying or insisting that the polity was all that there was? <clears throat> Are politics and cultures so diverse from each other uh, so that no comparison between them was possible because, as the historicist argued, everything was simply unique. Is the totalitarian regime, in other words, uh, the best regime, as it claims to be? The modern solution. Modern science joined modern political philosophy at the point at which it was believed that men could attain the best regime through the contribution of science and technology apart from the conditions of virtue and vice and virtue and goodness. Modernity proposed that the classical ideals of the best regime, which existed only in speech and therefore were impossible in actual to actual men, be replaced by material uh, norms. These norms prescinded from the questions of truth uh, of, and virtue that were the very context of classical political thought. Modern social and economic science proposed that the problem of virtue would be uh, solved when the problem with well-being was solved. This solution was to be uh, a technical achievement. A moderate amount of wealth would make virtue uh, not merely uh, easier, as Aristotle held, but necessary, something Aristotle would have never held. Science would be achieved without relating itself uh, to the problem of what it proposed or of what in moral or eth ethical terms a regime was conceived uh, to be. Modern democratic regimes claimed to be silent about virtue and truth. The very proposition that virtue and truth existed and mattered uh, to the actual polity came to be looked upon as uh, absolutist or totalitarian. The position that truth was possible, however, meant that the principle of ultimate doubt upon uh, which it was thought modern polities alone could be built, that is on the principle of uh, doubt, was itself uh, erroneous, that is to say that the, that was not the basic principle. The modern regime was threatened by classical philosophy and revelation that claimed to be true. To the relativist mind, the freedom of the polity depended on theoretic skepticism. In classical political philosophy, uh, the wide scope was given to the uh, 
uh, decisions of prudence and experience. Philosophy was made possible by politics, which was devoted to character and the right order of virtue. Politics was not uh, philosophy, but was a necessary preparation that philosophy might happen in the uh, contemplative life in the state of leisure. Politics provided the order to which the highest things could normally appear. The modern solution uh, to this problem was to uh, embark on a long-range education to convert both philosophy and revelation to modernity. At first sight, this conversion seemed impossible, an impossible task. As it has turned out, the project was quite feasible, well-conceived a well-conceived one. The classical problem of political philosophy was uh, uh, the claim that the poets described their gods as, as upholding the city. In the poems themselves, the gods acted uh, unjustly and uh, approved of actions that militated against the well-being of the city. The only way to save justice was either to uh, rewrite the poems or to forbid their being read. The greatest philosopher of antiquity uh, rewrote the poems, but as philosophy. This transformation was the purpose of the Republic. Plato knew that he had both to convince and charm the non-philosopher, especially the politician. Aristotle understood this also, but philosophy is universal and claims to be true. Classical philosophy, it is objected, cannot be open to modernity in its city or culture, since modernity is based on the view that for the good of civil order, no truth is possible. The gods are only myths, and the songs about them only songs. They can be listened to, but not taken seriously. Modern Science and Modern Politics did modern science claim to be true? Did it recognize a human nature that it did not make? Or was existing human nature itself merely one uh, potential form of rational being? Was the principled preservation of existing human nature through some natural law or right a threat to scientific uh, liberty that identify truth with the conformity of reality to the mind of the scientist, whatever it was that the scientist held? Or were the universe and man in it constructed so specifically, so uniquely, that the discovery of what man was depended not on man's artistic and scientific mind, but on his contemplative discovering an order not made by man 
but recognized by him. Aristotle taught that the highest of the practical uh, sciences was politics. Practical science did not address uh, sciences did not address themselves to the truth of the speculative sciences, but received them, received these truths, and were dependent on them. The practical sciences required some knowledge of the end of human action, a knowledge that was open to human reason. This knowledge was the purpose of Aristotle's discussion of happiness in books 1 and 10 of the Ethics. Human action in the concrete was the subject matter of a specific science, ethics politics, in which it was possible to praise or blame uh, right and wrong uh, human action. The subject matter of the ethical sciences, unlike, unlike that of the natural sciences, was itself variable. Freedom was of the very substance of ethics and politics. Everything in human action could be otherwise, even though right need not be done. The description of what men did and what they did not do needed to be seen in the light of what they ought to do. Otherwise, it was impossible to see the real subject matter of the ethical, political sciences as such. Yet, men in their free agency frequently did not do what they knew they ought to do. One solution, that of Machiavelli, solved this uh, dilemma by identifying the ought and the is. What we did was what we ought to do uh, if it got us to what we wanted. This position was a brilliant solution, but it so lowered the uh, uh, moral level of man that he was on such an hypothesis uh, no longer man in the classical sense. He had uh, no agonizing choice of right or wrong, but only of success or failure. The similar premise of Max Weber held that it was possible to tell us how to do something we wanted to do, whatever it was, but not at the same time tell us whether what we did was good or bad. We could be informed how to uh, run a concentration camp or an art museum efficiently, but not whether it was right or wrong uh, to run either of them in the first place. This power to define right and wrong was not a function of a reason or science, but of will. Whatever was willed in Weber's sense, was identified with what was good. At this point, the modern finds fields of science and technology joined with politics. 
science was justified insofar as it provided the means for every man to get what he wanted. But we could not rationally debate about what we wanted. That some men wanted what I want, or that science and technology came up with things that might destroy the very possibility of wanting, uh, hinted at a postmodern world. Nietzsche apparently was right. We needed a morality beyond good and evil. But what was to be the source of this beyondness? It had to be the autonomous human intellect ruled by nothing but itself. Modern philosophy had to distinguish itself from claims to order and truth that were said to be outside of man's autonomous capacity. This meant, in practice, that classical ontology and ethics in their first principles had to be rejected because they looked to an intelligible nature that was not ordered by human intellect to be what it was. The classic theories, classical theories, implied that the human intellect did not first know itself, but knew itself only in knowing what was not itself. That is to say, there was something to learn, something to be discovered. This position, in turn, suggested that man was not, in fact, autonomous. The Mediation of Political Philosophy Modernity argued that it was practical. Religion was said to be, was said to diffuse man's attention by directing it to higher things, uh, to the neglect of the, re, uh, the really human things that prescinded from any higher concerns. Only if man could be weaned away from transcendence could he concentrate his attention on uh, providing everything for needy man. Prosperity and fullness in this world require uh, this denial of classical, uh, classical religious concern, but included uh, their absorption into the modern project itself. Philosophy became, as Leo Strauss put it, charitable and active. The cost of this charity and activity was, however, as C.S. Lewis put it, quite heavy. In lecturing to popular audiences, Lewis wrote, I find it almost impossible uh, to make them understand that I recommend Christianity because I thought its affirmation to be objectively uh, true. They are simply not interested in the question of truth or falsehood. They are only they only want to know if it will be <clears throat> if it will be comforting or inspiring or socially useful. The encounter of science and revelation must first be 
uh, mediated through a valid political philosophy that allows the question of truth to be asked. Political philosophy is presupposed to both revelation and science. If the order of the polity, as upheld by its poets and laws, uh, considers itself to be uh, based on philosophical doubt or ideological truth, only that revelation or that science which serves either will be allowed. This conclusion leaves us with uh, the problem found in Plato with the uh, relation of the gentleman to the philosopher, the willingness of those with power uh, to allow themselves to be attracted to the higher thing. What seems new and ominous is that elements within the revelational tradition, often by its own will, are allowing themselves to be seen uh, through the ideological, uh, through ideologies of modernity that allow for no transcendent transcendence beyond themselves, that is say, some uh, religious views by the ideology and explain themselves in their terms. The argument should uh, about the uh, revival of classical political philosophy is crucial uh, to the question of the uh, viability of revelation and science in the same world. The centrality of political philosophy is not an absolute one, but it is the first one that we encounter. For all but the very few, the polity is the body which, by coercive or persuasive powers, permits or forbids the teaching of ultimate things. The rendering of the polity open to what is beyond itself is the first requirement for a philosophy open to whatever might be addressed to it. It is a task that we hear little of in academia. This silence has an origin, as Vogelin suspected, in the weak faith of the clerics and the philosophers. In the political sense, the recovery of an authentic revelation and philosophy is the first civic good. This recovery is not, at bottom, political. The philosopher, Socrates, received his inspiration to think from outside the polity in which he lived. Modernity, insofar as it is a reductionist and has a place only for its own autonomous forms, cannot be called upon for this effort. A revelation that seeks to present itself in the categories of this same modernity uh, will be seen for what it is, that is, modernity. We will not go forward in an ultimate sense until we return to the philosophical questions about the highest thing and through them to the revelational answers addressed to such questions. 
Science joins philosophy at the point where the specific order that science discovers is not a, is not merely in the mind of the scientist, <clears throat> but when the public order in its constitutional form reflects the mind of the idea uh, of the ideologies uh, through their uh, historic uh, construction uh, now be, it now becomes the form of public order and when religion has accepted this construction as its own basis neither science philosophy nor revolution revelation is possible the defense of science and revelation presupposes a political philosophy grounded in what is, not one grounded simply in the mind of the politician, scientist, philosopher, or theologian. A political philosophy based on what is must be legal. It must be not. It must not ultimately be a violation of the laws of the polity to have the highest things considered uh, even when they arrive from revelation. A polity open to truth is open both to revelation and science uh, without in any way denying that a polity has its own existence and action themselves uh, seeking to put uh, truth into its laws and ultimately into the things of, of uh, common uh, importance uh, that take place among human beings. Paradoxically, the truth of science is, in the classics, leads back to law and to its own limits. And this is the end of the chapter, so the next chapter begins with a discussion of law. We hope you enjoyed listening to Catholic Thinkers. Please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate to help us keep this content free.